You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. It's not enough to just sit still. And it is not enough to just read the sutras, read the right scriptures. It is not enough to just do one thing or another. It's not enough to go to a weekend workshop. It's not enough to show up on uh, our Wednesday evenings. We can do all of these things. And if there is not a stillness practice that is met on some level we're piddling around anyway this idea that there has to be something informing the sitting there has to be something informing the living there has to be something about our experience as seekers It comes from a place that burns bright, that is fearless. Um, Oddly enough, this fearlessness starts to show itself more readily the more we actually engage in the practice. Oftentimes, the practice is like walking across the desert. You know, where is the, where's the cool stuff that's supposed to happen here? I'm going through this uh, stillness practice. Not only am I not feeling still, uh, but it is really hard to get up that early or it's really hard to find the time with the kids or with the, you know, I never see my my husband anymore or I never, you know, my wife really wants the time for whatever it happens to be. It's always something. It's always something. The neighbors are too loud. The dog is barking. I'm too tired. I'm really hungry. You know what? Sleep would help me out better than actually sit. Whatever the reason is, that, of course, is my favorite. I cannot believe, after all this time, I have an experience almost every morning that goes something like this. Okay, here we go. About to start the day. I do a little bit of an awareness thing when I wake up, just kind of start kind of bringing myself into the world, you know, feel my body feel my feelings, my emotions, you know, where's my mind, you know, did it, was the sleep good or whatever, I kind of qualify, quantify a little bit, and then it's like, all right, let's get into the day by meditating. And if I can make it through those three steps, the, the, usual, the question is this interesting little bargaining that goes on with the voice inside my head, which is, sleep would feel good right now. <laughs> and I listen. I listen almost every day. Almost every day, there's like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do it in the afternoon. And I go through this real cute bargaining ritual, and my only way out of it, especially when it gets bad, is to say, "Get out!" My wife hates that. Especially if she's still sleeping. 
right, right. All kidding aside, though, it's this, there has to be, there has to be fire. There has to be something in us that has a type of resonant compassion that is not merely that which holds, that which cares for, with the tenderness of a grandmother. It's more. It's more than that. There also has to, there has to be that grandmotherly compassion met with a compassion that is penetrating, a compassion that has fire, a compassion that is strong, that can cut through the delusion. And when those two things meet, the bow is actual. When those two things meet, the practice becomes enriched with two sides of the ultimate equation. And that ultimate equation really is what shows us what's always already been there. Suzuki Roshi uh, said, even before we practice it, enlightenment is there. But usually, we understand the practice of, the practice of zazen and enlightenment as two different things. Here is practice, like a pair of glasses. And when we use the practice, like putting the glasses on, we see enlightenment. This is the wrong understanding. The glasses themselves are enlightenment. And to put them on is also enlightenment. So whatever, you're, whatever you do, or even though you do not do anything, enlightenment is there, always. It is always there, waiting for us to uncover it. A teacher cannot do it. No one will ever enlighten you. I'll say that again. No one will ever enlighten you. You have to do the work. You have to walk the path. The teacher helps you see that this is fool's gold and this is real gold. That's it. That's it. And that can be incredibly supportive. It can also not feel very good. Sometimes the most powerful things a teacher can say, at least in my experience for me, was, how does it feel in the mud? Not let me get you out of the mud. How does it feel? Enlightenment is always there. It's always there. And it's waiting for our realization, just like grapes wait to turn into wine. That's a bastardized roomy quote, but it's still very real. Grapes want to turn into wine. The evolutionary impulse of the entire universe is happening right now within each of us. Can we consciously meet it? Do we have that kind of courage? It's always there. In the Christian contemplative tradition, Plotinus, who's a real, he's a heavyweight, a Gnostic, that you guys might be interested in reading if you're, if you're into this at all. He said, it has not deserted its creation for a place apart. It, meaning spirit, is always present to those with the strength to touch it. 
Spirit has not deserted its creation for a place apart. It is always present to those with the strength to touch it. That must be us. We must be able to find that kind of resonant clarity within us to actually get into a practice that can allow it, that can allow being, that can allow spirit, God, the universe, the infinite, whatever you want to call it, shine through the blackness of our eyes into the blackness of everybody else's as they see themselves through us, as the mountain sees itself through our experience, as this very room experiences itself through us. It becomes an ultimate life in this capacity as opposed to our addiction to circumstantial realities. Circumstances do exist, but all of this work for those who have the strength to touch it is to actually recenter from the contracted egoic spaciousness where we tend to be into a spaciousness that is without bound. This transplant from here, contracted, into infinite expansion is the work. And it usually happens quite spontaneously, little spontaneous reminders. And our practice, for those who have the strength, creates a field waiting for spontaneity. Sentatsu uh, Baker Roshi, who uh, was originally with the San Francisco Zen Center, um, had this great quote where he said, uh, uh, enlightenment is an accident. I'm paraphrasing here again. Forgive. But enlightenment is an accident. Meditation makes us accident prone. That's got to be there has to be there. So along these lines, what is holding you back? What is it that keeps you from this? Because that's cool. And I'll, I'll give you a quality. I, I, I promise you there's a quality that whatever keeps you from this practice that keeps you, shall we say, from finding the strength to recognize that enlightenment is always there. It involves an attachment. It involves a clinging. It might be lots of clinging. It might be just a little bit, but it involves clinging. And the clinging is ego. what ego is clinging to. I promise it's clinging to itself, but it's also clinging to other stuff to help establish that grip. Uncover that. The clinging, I also promise, has another quality, and that is it is to avoid something. It is to avoid something. It is to keep itself safe. 
It wants to be able at any point to jump behind the machine gun and defend itself. That's its job. And our work is to see that impulse, not just ego, not just patting ego on the head, but recognize the impulse that pushes ego into the bunker and helps help that whatever circumstance helps it grab the gun ready to pull the trigger. Nizargadatta Maharaj had this great quote in relation to this very thing. And the fact that I have hit Buddhism, Christianity, and Hinduism is an accident, but I think it's telling. I'm just kind of recognizing that right now, okay? All these great traditions have been hit here with these, these uh, pieces and bits of wisdom that I decided to talk about. But Nizargatada says, the only difference between you and me is that I understand my natural state and you are bemused by it. We discover it by being earnest, by searching, inquiring, questioning daily and hourly, by giving one's life to this discovery. Are you giving your life to this discovery? And no matter how you answer that question, you will come up with your clinging. You'll find it right there. You'll find what you're hanging on to. So our way out of that, the way we actually begin to let go, the, min the minute we start recognizing that there is an hourly, moment-by-moment -moment commitment to its discovery, we do this by fearlessly engaging in a stillness practice that allows us to watch everything, observe everything as it arises. And our work then is not to grab and not to avoid. We watch the clinging. The watching of the clinging takes energy away from it. We watch our avoidance. The watching of the avoidance takes energy away from it. Energy that we will need as we engage in a deeper and deeper and deeper practice. I am not trying to, uh, uh, I feel like I'm preaching. <laughs> that is really not what I'm trying to do. It's just that uh, I think I was inspired in part by a weekend that uh, my wife and I, and actually Kyle was there, uh, where we had, it was, it was really quite beautiful and quite well done, this, this great uh, kind of an experiential training uh, in relationship to integral, integral uh, experience, where we take our physical body and we integrate that with our mental self and we integrate that actually with the spiritual self. This is really important. It's the only way any, anything is ever going to get any type of traction in the world. A spiritual practice that actually makes sense. I mean, this is really, really powerful. But over lunch, we, we kind of had this really fascinating discussion about how the most important thing to establish is the groundless ground on which spiritual unfolding 
shows up. If you don't have that, what you have is just a series of things that we can attach to. And the attachments are what? They're what keep us blind to the clear light of truth. Not my truth, not your truth, not Buddha's truth, not Rumi's. The truth of infinity. The truth that it's all one and it's all many and it's neither one of those. That truth. And that can be uncovered. That can be uncovered through our practice. And when it's uncovered, we see that enlightenment has always been there. We see that it's always present to those who have the strength to touch it. We see that by giving our life to this discovery, we're no longer bemused or intoxicated with the sense of what enlightenment might be. We are enlightenment and we walk through the world thusly. You can have stillness without sitting. Sure. Yeah. Driving to work. Mm -hmm. Sitting is one time honored <laughs> uh, and tested way of doing it. But it's not the only way. Uh, I don't see that without stillness, any of this is possible. Without sitting or without stillness. Without stillness. Now, finding stillness in a car mm -hmm. is is possible, but it's fleeting. We rarely relax into prolonged states of stillness. So there are ways of kind of teasing us with, you know, finding stillness, letting the driving be a meditation, which I totally encourage, letting the eating be a med meditation, which I totally encourage. It should be. Life should be your meditation. That's how we bring it out of the monastery into our day-to-day. -day. But I am a big fan of having a time when all you do is follow the breath. All you do is follow the mind. All you do is witness, experience fully. And when we still our bodies down, whether our eyes are closed or open, to, you know, but when we still our bodies down so much and we can just kind of relax without having to pay attention to anything other than what's going on internally, we turn the heat up. You encourage us to ask questions constantly. Yeah. Why is that so important? Because that's where the ego lets go. Partially, usually. Ego lets go enough to ask the question so that it can get an answer and then create a process of meaning. But in that simple act of questioning, there's opening. It's I wonder. 
as opposed to I know or I think that. Mm -hmm. And if you take the I out of it, it's wonder. Wonder, right, right. right. So without then the question, this is totally meaningless. What we do here on Wednesdays is absolutely a waste of time. Absolutely a waste of time if there isn't the fire that burns and takes the form of a question. And oftentimes the ego will, will hear that and go, wait, 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 hang on. I'm quiet. I don't like asking questions. I don't like participating. I d great, great. How thick is that wall? What if you're just kind of mindless? What if what? You're just mindless. You don't, I mean, you're not fighting with the ego. You're, you're just kind of... You're just in a bliss state? Yes. Then bring it back into the world. Mm -hmm. Okay? I'm not saying you have to ask a question. Yeah. I'm saying that the, what the impulse is behind that question is the fuel that helps you recognize that enlightenment's always already there okay and when I say it's meaningless if we just sit here because it feels good if we sit we like to meet because we like the camaraderie you know this whole incredible group of people which it is but if that's why we're here because of the group okay or we're here because well it's just an opportunity for me to kind of you know unplug a little bit all this stuff is really good but it's it's all egoic Every bit of that is about ego. Every bit of that is about feeling better. And as much as I love each and every single one of you, I couldn't care less about you as people. I care about your realization. That's primary. I care about your realization. Otherwise, I would not be sitting here. It would just be, you know, the mic show. And ask my wife, that gets so boring after a while. <laughs> You know, and that's what she says. It's just so boring. But I mean, I, I, I'm, really, I'm really serious. And I feel very, very juiced by this. Uh, this is about your realization, Barb. It's not about you feeling better. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you do. And I love you with all my heart. But I'm really, what am I really concerned about? I'm really concerned about your realization. And yours, 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 and yours. Everybody's. That's what I'm concerned about. Have some fun in the process. But that's 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 got to that's got to hold a real. There's got to be a lot of weight there, for each of us. In order for this to be anything other than just kind of a feel-good thing to do, on Wednesdays. It's got to be more than that. And it is. Thank you. Yeah, sure. In answer to Barb's you know, first question, one of the things you said was, yes, it was possible to, <coughs> to meditate while, <coughs> while driving and doing other things. <coughs> I'm presuming that the only way you can do that is by what you mean by that is, is you don't mean meditation in in the actual sense of the word, but in the sense of being in the moment when you're when you're when you're when you're, you're fully present, 
You're not thinking about what happened yesterday. You're not thinking about what, what you're going to do you know, at lunchtime. It's just driving for the sake of driving. Mm-hmm. When driving, just drive. Right. Don't wobble. Right. Right? right. The, the problem is, though, ego loves hearing those words because then it's like, oh, cool. Now I don't have to meditate. I can just do this while I'm driving. That can be my practice. Okay, fine, ego. If that's what you want, fine, go ahead. It's not going to work. It might, but most likely, most likely, it's. I mean, what we've what we've done. Do you understand? We've given ego tools. If that's all it is. And giving ego tools is not wrong. None of this is, none of this is wrong. I'm just saying, if, if we're talking about the strength to touch it, if we're talking about recognizing that enlightenment is always there, if we are talking about not being bemused by any and all concepts relating to enlightenment, if we want to readily abide from the spaciousness of our original face, then we have to be really, really clear about what that means and what it doesn't mean. And we would love, we, meaning ego, egos would love for that to mean, mm, I can then decide what my stillness practice is, how it should look, and how it should feel based on my level of comfort. Am I clear? And there's nothing wrong with that but it just means this is going to take longer. It really means that we're piddling around. And some of us are good at that. Some of us are so good at that. Some of it, myself included. Yeah. I just want to share something that um, since I left Green Gulch, and like at Green Gulch, you know, all you're doing is practicing. And uh, so like you're supposed to be mindful when you eat your food and, you know, and there's periods of silence. And, and um, so then you get in that whole train of thought of like, oh, when I drive, I should just drive. And so like I was resisting like turning on music or like, you know, or when I turn on the baseball game when I was eating because mm-hmm. I wanted to be mindful of eating my food. So I was totally resisting kind of the rest of my life and uh, I actually talked to Fu about it mm-hmm. and she said that um, to ask yourself what is it that you want and so like I've it's really helped me to kind of put things in perspective when it comes to practice and that like I don't have to be like Hitler all the time with myself Mm-mm. and uh, and that like really when it comes down to it, I want to wake up in the morning and sit. Like, that's really what I want to do. And sometimes I want to watch the baseball game when I eat. And, you know, that's just like, so I just found that really helpful. Oh, yeah. And I, I, th- I, think, that's, I think that's spot on. One of the things I've always loved about her is that we're talking about uh, Fu Schrader at uh, Green Gulch. She's an incredible teacher. And one of the things I've always really liked about her is that she can really unpack it in a way that generates so much meaning for the here and now. If you are watching a baseball game fully, that's a meditation, okay? 
our danger is, if I can just comment on your comment here, is is that mindfulness is not mindlessness. They're, they're diametrically opposed. Mindlessness is, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a psychotic orientation beyond carefree. Mindful is absolutely, totally engaged and aware, right? And so if you are absolutely mindfully engaged and aware in anything, in anything, walking up the stairs, driving the car, watching the ball game, eating your meal, whatever it is, you've just realized ordinary mind. Ordinary mind is a mind without anything extra. And that's what enlightenment is. It's an appropriate response to any and all things that arise. Nothing extra. In other words, no, no, no aspect of ego coloring the experience. What do you really want? If you uncover that, you uncover the energy it takes to actually realize the opening, realize that enlightenment is always there. That's where the strength comes from, by asking that question. In the question, our, we get our fuel. You said stillness is not enough. that then we look for our attachments in the things that intrude upon the stillness. And through that we find our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, this is my old refrain. It, sure. Easier said than done. I, um, I've heard it referred to as the meditation demons. Yeah. yeah. Um, or the weeds. The mind weeds? Yeah, they just, every time you think, okay, you don't cut them down. You just sort of say, okay, they're there. Yeah. But they keep sprouting up. Uh-huh. And it feels like a loop. Yeah. And it keeps looping. There's peri periods of watching the breath, counting the breath, being aware, and then these things keep popping up. Right. I still have trouble wondering what to do with them besides saying, oh, they're there. It seems sometimes very loopy. Right, and here's to loopy, right? What do you do with the ivy on your beautiful property? What do you do with that? Well, I unfortunately trim it back. For how but does it come back? Oh, you better believe it. Right, it's a, it's a continual experience, isn't it, Paul? Yes. It's a practice, right? Have you learned to live with the ivy, or have you learned to do your damnedest to eradicate any and all forms of ivy? I probably keep trimming my, to make the metaphor perfect, I probably keep trimming my ivy thinking something different is going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. Yet, when it comes down to what you really know, nothing's going to change, right? That's right. Let, again, this goes, this goes back to the talk kind of. Um, awakening doesn't mean that there are never weeds. Your relationship to the weeds changes 180 degrees, though. Instead of trying to modify or wish that they were different. Or get beyond. Or get beyond. Or clear, clear cut them. Clear cut them. They're just there. Aren't they cool? So I changed my relationship to them. Yeah. 
And guess how that happens? I accept them. You accept them, and that can only happen with what type of practice? Stillness. Absolutely. <laughs> I get to go ahead of the class. Yeah, yeah, you get to sit up here next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Ha, ha, ha.